Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Time for VUC. In our 11th year, with us on our journey this year, Simwood.com. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Greenfield Tech. Go to greenfield.tech and see how they can make your tech dreams both feasible and affordable. Our conference bridge is the best you'll ever find at zipdx.com. VUC.me is hosted on Bluehost. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are provided by Voxbone.com. You all know I love to get the first word in, and this is VUC 668 for October 20th. I had some audio problems, so I'm recording this after the fact, and I'm going to turn it right over to Michael Graves, who will get things started. Michael. Well, the presumption is that I have a clue, which is not always the case, but here we go. So Randy reached out to us last week, and this is kind of an unusual turn of events. We normally engage people. In this case, he engaged us, and we said, well, Randy, we'd like to come find out about what you do. And and, and so uh, welcome, and uh, thank you for the outreach. And um, wow. Uh, we had not been exposed to icehook systems or uh, root engine or any of this in the past, but we're going to start with our traditional question because we'd like to know as much about people as about the technology and the companies and stuff. Um, so maybe let's frame it up a little bit with um, who, who are icehook systems and then how did you come to be where you are in icehook systems and all of this? It's the, where are the roots of things? Sure. Thank you. And uh, uh, thanks for thanks for having me on. Um, like I said, I, I I reached out because I'm a I'm a fan of uh, podcast and uh, the the streaming, and I just think it's uh, it, you don't see this often. Right? You guys really get down into the into the weeds, and and I in a, in a good way. Um, so how Icehook came to be, and and how we came to this point, um, I think there's uh, a lot in my background that that sort of led me to uh, to become one of the co-founders. Uh, I started way back at uh, in 1996 at a company called IDT. I think heard that in uh, Hackensack, New Jersey. And my first my first role with them was uh, was selling dial-up internet access and uh, long distance over the phone. I was more or less a telemarketer, uh, and I was selling um, a little company called LDDS WorldCom. And uh, we were selling against AT&T and their 26 cents a minute. Uh, we were selling 13 cents. And it was, it was actually really, really hard to get people to uh, switch. Um, and you know, I jumped around uh, a lot over there. I mean, the telemarketing wasn't really for me. And so I got put on this nascent calling card division. Uh, and we, you know, we were, this was back when calling cards were a businessman's tool and you would sell them in airline magazines. And I think our, our, our days, you know, we were very excited when we had a thousand dollars a day in sales. Uh, we, I think we got a pizza uh, for the office. Uh, so that, that was, uh, early on. And, and, uh, you know, I was, I was an entrepreneurial guy. And so I left, uh, IDT about a year later with some folks that started at international 
callback company called uh, Saycon. Uh, at least that's how we started. Um, we ran, I don't know if any of you remember uh, callback and how that worked, but uh, essentially if you were in, let's say, Singapore and you wanted to call Malaysia, uh, which was, you could see it from Singapore, uh, it was something like $2 a minute. Uh, but if you were to run the calls out of the U.S. and make a call to Malaysia and a call to Singapore and bridge them in the U.S., you can sell that for a dollar a minute. Uh, and make uh, a lot of money doing so. And so um, we set out to do that, and eventually that morphed into um, building international routes into the developing world all over VSAT, uh, using voice over frame technology, compressing it you know, 16 to one because we were going over a satellite link. Uh, and, and for me, I was young guy, I was sort of, I'll do whatever. I mean, there was four of us in a room and they said, okay, great, you're going to do whatever. Uh, you're going to run our switch, which I had no, absolutely no background. In. Uh, it was, it was a Windows NT based switch uh, called Voiceware, I think. And it did, you know, sort of everything. It was really, it was actually a pretty good platform. The only, the only problem with it was uh, it ran Windows NT, and the, to access it, you had to go through PC Anywhere, and every time you accessed it on PC Anywhere, it would crash. So we would crash you know, three, four times a day. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, we grew, and we eventually sold out to Titan Wireless. Uh, so we had a, a pretty good exit, uh, exit there. Um, after that, I, I joined a company called General Telecom. And uh, what General Telecom did was... Uh, switch partitions. They had DMS switches, uh, New York, Miami, LA, and they would just sell, sell ports. Um, and this was, this uh, suited me a lot better. Uh, I, I enjoyed the solution selling aspect of it. Eventually I became general manager of the business. So I was responsible for, uh, in the beginning, three data centers, it worked up to about six data centers. Um, and all TDM infrastructure and you know, running a data center was just everything would go wrong. It was like, you know, they have this expression, you never notice a good referee in a game. If a referee is good, you never see him. That's how I felt about data centers. You just, people just expect them to work. Uh, and the only time you get noticed if you're a data center operator is when something breaks and something was always breaking, whether it be the HVAC, whether it be the fire suppression, some of the battery backups, everything we tested and running in places like New York City. It was all uh, a lot of union rules. So it was really a difficult business. Um, but but because it was the late 90s, or well, by the time I was there, it was the early aughts. Uh, we were growing. We were doing very well. We, we converted over to VoIP, um, and we started doing VoIP to TDM conversion over uh, Cisco gateways and, and eventually some other types of gateways. And then we got into the hosted SPC business. So essentially what we were doing with these big switches, we were doing with, uh, with much smaller uh, SPCs running on sort of just commercial uh, hardware, non-specific hardware. So just server software. They were excellent in one way in that you can buy these things or you can lease this and set up and you were a phone company more or less. Uh, the problem was, was um, outside of the fact that the tech was really new and immature, was that the complex things you could do in a big TDM switch, you really couldn't do uh, in, in an SBC. So things like, um, handling routing to Mexico. You could route to country code five two, but Mexico had a bunch of different bands. It had about 10,000 codes. So you could never actually make Mexico work 
the way it worked. I mean, sometimes you would route to Mexico and it would be one cent a minute. Sometimes it would be 15 cents a minute. Uh, and you really had no control over that. So while we were at uh, General Telecom, I hired a bunch of young software engineers and I said, look, how do we, how do we solve this problem? We need, to, we need to be able to solve this problem. It's just handling this routing at the edge with these devices aren't working. And we we've eventually came up to um, taking the routing outside of the SPC uh, and building a, a, a completely separate routing database that would sw talk to the SPC uh, over SIP. So you're just, instead of, of having everything in under one roof, you were separating out tasks, which in when you think about the way the Linux world works, this is exactly what you do. You don't stuff everything into one process. You kind of have all these different sub-processes that all, that all work well together. Well, um, that product worked really well. We, we sold a lot of it. We licensed it to uh, GenBand, actually. They were selling it for a while. But we were still running into the same problems that we ran into in running our traditional business, which was buying hardware and maintaining that hardware, maintaining the data centers and the internet connections and BGP and the routers and all that sort of stuff. It's really expensive and just um, difficult when you, when you didn't know, um, you didn't have a great handle on what growth was gonna look like. So it was very difficult to plan. One day, I remember I was at the office and it was late and one of my engineers said, hey, look at this, I wanna show you something. And this is back in 2009. Um, and they showed me some process, some, that was some software that was running on a, on a server. And it was at 100% CPU. And he said, okay, now watch this. Flipped a couple of keys and all of a sudden brings up another box. And now each box is at 50. And, and back in 2009, this was a huge issue for us. Uh, it was just a huge issue, uh, capacity planning. Um, not just on circuits, but also on hardware itself, because there was lead time and it was expensive and um, everything that's involved in that. Well, I said immediately, I said, what, what is this? I remember, and they said, this is, this, is, um, this is the cloud. This is cloud computing. This is Amazon. I was like, this, this is what I need to do. So within six months, I had, I had left General Telecom and I had uh, a bunch of folks uh, came with us. Um, it was an amicable split, by the way. It wasn't, you know. Uh, so um, we went ahead and started our own company. And the, the, the pillars of the company, we are never going to buy hardware and we are never going to run a data center. I was done. I was done with getting calls overnight that something had broken or getting calls, you know, on vacation that uh, somebody had spent $30,000 because they set off the fire suppression system. Um, we were going to run a software company that sold to telcos uh, because we knew where the bodies were buried and, and uh, where the gaps were, but we were never going to own our own hardware. Uh, so that's what we did. And we started uh, IceHook. Our first product was a product called Slinger, and it was CDR management. And uh, this was in the days when folks were putting stuff on tapes or on um, storage area networks. It's really expensive, very clunky, and all the data was siloed. So you didn't, if you needed a record for Kalia, if you needed to run a report for um, based on, you know, how much state to state or interstate calling you were running, it, it was it was really difficult. And, and what I think made Slinger so good is that it took something that's pretty mundane, but that would take up devs and DBA's time and gave it to the folks that actually needed the data. So when an attorney needed call records, he can go get the call records or she could go get the call records. Uh, and, 
and so we built it on you know Amazon. Although back then um, we were very hesitant, we sort of downplayed the Amazon really because when you said Amazon in 2010, nobody like it had this sort of. If you spoke to a telco person in 2010 and you said we're running your business, we're running our business on Amazon, they would think you were crazy. Right, so we also did some stuff with Rackspace and Pier One, and we're like, "Oh, we're Rackspace, Pier One mostly," um, and then we do some. Stuff. Well, we as you know, we're doing like ninety-five percent of business on Amazon, and maybe five percent of these other companies. Um, so, you know, fast forward, and I know I'm going a little long on this, but but essentially, um, what we wanted to do with IceHook was software, bring sort of web-based software, web 2.0 software to the telco industry and do it in a way that um, we didn't have to own any of the, you know, the, the infrastructure to actually deliver that service, even though we were selling SaaS. Uh, and it's, you know, in the beginning, it was rough. I, I'll have to tell you, um, you know, selling somebody routing, which we eventually bought back from the general telecom folks, uh, licensed the whole thing back, name and everything, rewrote it. And, um, uh, you know, sold it to the carrier community. It was a tough sell saying, look, we're, we're, we're not going to put a box in, in your premise. We're going to, we're going to host it and you're going to connect to us over the, over the internet. And, and I mean, we lost a lot of business in the early days because we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't put a server, uh, in somebody's location, uh, because it, it, you know, it kind of blew up our model. Uh, you know, we, we wanted to be small. We didn't want to have to deal with a lot of on-site issues back from running general telecom. I, I knew that anytime you put a server in somebody's location, you were just, and you were responsible for it. You're just, you're just asking for trouble. Uh, you know, some, somebody's going to come and, uh, change a network, change a firewall rule, or they're going to run an update on it and they're not going to tell you about it. And they're going to call you and say, why is it? Broken? So, um, you know, that's, that's, that was my background. That's how we got to, to where we're at. And, um, you know, so today we're really focused. The shift to 100% pure virtual then that was like going, going from, uh, coming from a hardware basis and then making an early transition into this, um, entirely hardware agnostic or indifferent mode, which is pretty cool. And I bet, um, I'm going to say it's not an uncommon experience. I'm, I'm guessing that other people have done it, but I think everybody goes through a different path, which is what makes the experience interesting. Um, everybody gets different stuff. I, I, to be to, to circle back just for a second, I must say I used your calling card products uh, when I was traveling in the mid to late '90s. I used them a ton. Um, not always IDT, but sometimes IDT, but uh, but definitely have a lot of a lot of experience involving that and trying to avoid those $3 a minute uh, long distance calls. Um, so what about Icehook? Icehook is now going on from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, what we focus on today at Icehook, we have a, a number of different products, but I think what we want to real, what we've been selling the most of quite frankly uh, is call routing and call control. Um, you know, in the old days, uh, many old days, five years ago, everybody was interested in least cost routing, least cost routing. You know, that was the most important thing to anybody we spoke with. And this was, you know, back when there was lots of companies that were, uh, you know, the I and the IXC days that were ma making a living um, buying from Peter and selling the Paul uh, and doing it on a pure arbitrage basis. So, uh, and, and in general telecom, and we first started ISOC, these were a lot of our customers. Um, and so we built, uh, we built a platform that would augment SBCs be, or any sort of SIP uh, 
SIP device and add enhanced routing to it. So you could have a single SBC, uh, single open SIPs, or um, a free switch, or an asterisk box, or a meta switch, um, or you could have a whole network of them. And you could have a network of a bunch of different switches. So the very few networks we run into these days are homogenous. Um, you know, they're usually company A bought company B, or they were buying a bunch of hardware that's now discontinued, and now they've switched platforms. So you go into these networks, and they're a mess. And, um, you know, they're trying to, uh, like I said, originally just trying route and, and, and just being pure wholesale voice. Today, our customers are mo most times either uh, ITSPs, so folks running, you know, like, uh, kazoo or some sort of uh, asterisk or meta switch or you know, broadsoft um, either hosted or on-prem um, or we're, run, we're, we're dealing a lot with enhanced providers so this is folks like uh, a company in Chicago called Dialogue Tech that sells, ad, sells ads on the uh, or post ads on the internet and, and has uh, have dynamic numbers that, that go to each ad and so they're not exactly phone companies, but they're doing hundreds of millions of minutes a month. Uh, and they need to have, uh, they have large networks. And they need to be able to control where their calls are going, if they're having audio problems, how to quickly route around those. Um, I mean, it's amazing how far the industry's come in, in just a few years where uh, a few years ago, it was all cost, 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 cost. Now folks are taking a much more holistic approach to voice network management, where if customer X calls in to me, uh, that's a problem to begin with. They shouldn't even be calling because they shouldn't have problems. But if they do have a problem, I can't say to them, we'll get back to you in three hours when we speak to our underlying network vendor and open a ticket with them, and hopefully they can solve the issue. Um, what we empower our customers to do is to be able to say, okay, hold on, Mr. Customer, where are you having problems calling? Put them, put them on hold for about 30 seconds, make the change uh, to the destination, test it and say, okay, try again. And even if they lose money, even if they're saying, look, I was routing it at a, a cent a minute, now I'm routing it at five cents a minute and I'm only charging this customer three cents a minute, having a happier customer, having somebody that called in and said, you know what, these guys, we're on it. They took care of it. My boss was having a problem calling our largest supplier. Now he's not. It's a big deal. Um, and so you take a holistic approach. You can't. You can't. You can't grow your business if, if you're losing customers out of the, out of the bottom, uh, uh, while and, and trying to plug holes. So if you can run a stable network and run a network that, oh by the way, you are getting the best costs where possible. But if you're not, um, you know that's that's what what enterprises are looking like today. They want, uh, they want the recurring revenue. They want the customers to stick around for, um, you know, for the long haul. That's very interesting. Uh, this, uh, the sensibilities you express align up exactly with what we do at ZipDX. And that is, uh, it's not always about being the cheapest. In fact, uh, customers who come to us and ask, you know, if their first thing out of their mouth is uh, what the rate is, then they're not going to be a happy customer with us, and and so go it. But if you want to deliver a superlative end user experience and have happy, high value customers, then it's a whole different kind of infrastructure, and you need a whole different kind of partner to be able to do it. Because using your example, uh, oftentimes we you know call our call our partners to inquire about something that happened, and 
And, you know, you're talking to somebody that if they get back to you, you have maybe a 12 or 24 hour window before their logs roll off. And chances are you're not going to be able to determine anything about it anyway. So um, it's a specialty kind of thing and it's very cool. Uh, and so um, that's an interesting kind of a customer that you have there. Well, it's nice for us because um, they, and it, you know, look, we're, we're, we're very reasonably, but, but. In, it, when we used to sell to folks that were doing wholesale, I mean, you're talking about cu customers of ours that are making fractions of a fraction of a cent. Um, and so they're, they're super cost sensitive and um, it's, it, they're difficult customers to have because they need to, to, to send a tremendous amount of volume to make a modest amount. Of money. Whereas uh, customers that are much more quality focused um, are, you know, they, they send less volume, but they're making a heck of a lot more money per per minute they send or per call they send through us. And and I think I should just you know sort of back up and say wh where do we sit in the network? How can we do all this? We're, it's it's not magic really. Um, what Route Engine uh, does is it sits like I said um, in between the edge device in uh, a, a voice network and the vendor pool. So before a call ever goes out to the vendor pool, it comes to us first. And it gives us uh, information like where the call came from, uh, in terms of the A number, where the call is going to. Uh, we'll do an, a, a real-time LNP lookup. So we'll see, is this number ported? Um, and then based upon the business rules that are set in advance, we'll send back um, in real-time, and this happens with transit maybe, a, maybe a tenth of a second, usually less. Uh, a list of routes that the switches to try. So nothing else changes. So from, from our customer standpoint, billing, reporting, troubleshooting, uh, uh, you know, network visibility, n nothing changes for that, for that customer. And for his vendors, if there's a voice, if there's an audio problem, well, we're not involved in that. We're not adding an additional step in this. We're just saying we're, we're what we call stateless. We're sending back the instructions and then we're gone. We're, we're ready to handle the next call. We log it. So, you know, if, if you want to come back and, and say, well, why did we go X, Y, or Z? Well, great, we have that. Um, but we're the ones uh, just executing the instructions and the business rules. And what's because we're standards-based uh, and because we're hosted uh, with Amazon and we're, we're really all over the world, um, you, we can interface. You can have a single pane of glass view at your routing. If you're global if you're a global enterprise, um, you can you can control all your routing from one source and not have to go into. I had one I had one customer that came to me and they were running uh, pretty successful. They're they're running Asterisk uh, and then they have and uh, they have an Asterisk gateway as well. And they have about 50 of them. And so I said, you know, as I typically do, okay, what are you doing today? Right. Well, if you need to make a change, what are you doing today? Oh well, we've got a script. It's a great script and it goes in to these gateways and changes the routing on each and every one of them. Well, how long does that take? Well, it takes about 12 hours to go. And oh, by the way, you're that's saying nothing to, I'm going into a gateway that should be really focused on something else and starting to mess with config files uh, and, and mess with um, the overall setup, which you never want to do. Like what's, what's nice about our product is our customer, the way we set it up with them, they can completely go in and ham the whole thing up and their calls are still going to work. Um, you know, they, they can go in and and literally break things, and we'll set it up with them where if we don't respond properly or they don't get a response from us, they can they can go ahead and and hit a default route 
as opposed to um, you know, if they make a mistake in a config file or in uh, a PSX or something like that on a Sonus, you're down, you're out. Uh, and that, and that, and you guys know. I mean, that's where that's where outages happen, right? The the, the whole myth of the fiber cut is, is no such thing. It's somebody that goes into a router and they break something. And they 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 change a config file and it takes a long time to fix that. And that's you know that's that's how outages happen. Um, and so we are we are very low touch in in sort of the network. I mean, we can we can get very granular. I can route a, one phone number individually, or I can block one phone number individually, or I can route a whole country. Uh, but I'm not going to go in and start forklifting out a bunch of stuff and changing the way your your people work. Okay, um, I, I've got a couple of questions now, Randy. Yes, please. Um, it's clear that you uh, you said that you you don't touch the media; you just handle the signaling. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, and so you're you're running a cloud-based. Um, well, you mentioned OpenSips. Uh, I'm guessing OpenSips with some kind of database backend, probably Redis. Knowing uh, knowing OpenSips. Um, <laughs> well, uh, well, go ahead. Let me fi finish your question. So um, so what you're doing is you're running um, a. a, a a very well-managed OpenSips um, core for people who handle media on, on the front end um, and sitting between um, those user equipments and the SIP trunks that go off to terminate calls, I guess. That's what you're doing, isn't it? Actually, it, it's not what we're doing. Um, okay. We, <laughs> we, do, we do have OpenSips uh, in our network, but we do that for load balancing strictly. Um, and we, we actually, when we started, we didn't uh, use OpenSips at all. We expected people to be able to use uh, fully qualified domain names, which, as it turns out, a lot of, a lot of switches, voice switches can't. So we put the OpenSips so we can give folks IP addresses and we can distribute the calls to our network on the back end. Um, and our architecture is, is us. We, we actually wrote the, the SIP stack and it's really a sort of a partial stack. We're not, uh, you know, we only have a few uh, call states. Uh, we, we, that's all written in Ruby. Um, we use MongoDB. Uh, we do use Redis uh, as well for uh, uh, some caching uh, and, and, and storing of that. Uh, but we use MongoDB as well. And the reason we use Mongo, uh, as I told you, we, we built this for Amazon Web Server. Uh, and what's really nice about databases like Mongo is I can uh, horizontally scale them across infrastructure. So as my, uh, I'm not going to get a table um, with half a billion rates in it. It's just, you know, uh, as like a, um, a relational database would be. And then once that gets too big, I've got a, a, a pull out my my servers and put in bigger servers and maybe start sharding off of that. What we do is we, as we expand, we just add more nodes. Uh, and, and so Mongo handles that beautifully. Uh, and it also handles service interruption and things like that. So if, if um, I'm, I'm running a customer and the Eastern seaboard falls off the United States uh, and uh, you know, I'm just left with, uh, and I lose, let's say a third of my network, uh, things are still gonna run. Uh, because uh, because it's distributed in nature, it's it's uh, sort of loosely coupled elements that are all working together. Uh, getting back to the another reason we don't use OpenSips is because we do things like um, we try we, we do things like real time Lata OCN, and we just have a lot more uh, capabilities in terms of keying off of different 
things in the message. So we're not locked into what OpenSIPS gives us. Uh, we're, we're, we have the ability to pick off uh, different headers in the message. Uh, so we can do things like uh, easily handle different tags, irrespective of where they are in the message. Um, and, uh, and, and we can de develop very, very quickly. Whereas if we ran off of OpenSIPS, then we're kind of reliant on uh, what they give us. And, and, and we really... Well, it's really interesting. I would have said it kind of works the other way. I don't know what you're using, but I would have said probably OpenSIPS is probably one of the, the easiest and quickest platforms to actually develop um, new and interesting um, requirements upon. It is, but the scripting is a bit funky. Um, and then you get into a whole issue where we have a front end GUI, which I'm, you know, uh, <laughs> changed a few. <laughs> uh, if you want to want see, to see. Uh, we, we want uh, to see your front end. Um, the so front what, end. What I'm really interested in is what what is your ma magic sauce? What is it that you add to the equation that uh, makes all of your customers want to be your customer forever? What do you do that? Um, is valued well first of all um uh, i just want to, uh, all of our customers are well let's say the the lion share are a month-to-month -month agreements and we there's been this way from the beginning uh we've always we we like i said we wanted sort of an internet model uh and a SaaS model that we have to earn our earn our check every month um and so so why do they work with us well you know a we we take we make their network just work better um, it, it, again, if we want to go back to OpenSIPs, I mean, you can, to run a network of different OpenSIPs that are different versions all around the world and trying to coordinate routing on them, it's, it's not easy. I mean, even things like, okay, I have five, five vendors that I want to do business with. And vendor A wants all his calls in E164. And vendor B wants uh, just 10, you know, uh, uh, Nine, uh, 10 digits for US and 011 uh, for all international calls. Things like that, while really, really simple in an open SIPs world, uh, get kind of kludgy because that's got it. You've got to go and modify config files uh, and start um, getting into areas that you don't necessarily want non experts touching. So we can, we take something that's very, very complex routing. Um, and make it very easy. The other thing um, that we that that keeps people with us is when you think about what routing is, it's much less network stuff. That's why I say our SIP stack is really small. It's really things like rate management. Um, you just start to to run through the numbers. Let's say you, like I said, you deal with five vendors and you want to terminate just U.S. traffic. You don't even care about the rest of the world. Forget about the rest of the world for just just a minute because. And we'll get we'll, we'll circle back to it. Trust me. Uh, just to handle U.S. domestic traffic, you need to consider at the minimum about 180,000 uh, different dial codes, uh, and not just the B number, but you have to consider the A number. So you need to you need to say where is the call coming from? Where is the call going to? We have different what we call jurisdictions. So interstate calls are rated different than interstate. Uh, inter or different than intra. And then if the call originated overseas, that has a different rate. And then if the call uh, goes down the block, well, that has a different rate. So you have, all, you have four jurisdictions that you have to deal with, with about a minimum, like I said, of about 180,000. So you're looking at roughly you know, 720,000 different permutations for one vendor. And then multiply that by five, 
and then try and keep up with that every month as you get new rates. And oh, by the way, you also have to look at things like um, local number portability. And you are also assuming that all your vendors are going to normalize their rates, which they almost never do. I mean, you'll get one vendor that says, all right, I'm going to, these codes are going to go for the US six digits deep. And then your other vendor is going to say, no, well, we're going to go seven digits deep, which means you have to go with the mo the highest common denominator. Uh, so instead of only doing 180,000 times three, you're looking at about 650,000. Okay. I'm getting a message here, Randy. What you're saying is <laughs> your customers are people who really don't have the time or, or resource to deal with that level of complexity. So they just want to um, throw all that hassle at somebody else and that somebody else is is you. Well, it's it's our software. They do it. They it's yeah. all self serve. So you could take somebody with minimal training um, and have them build one, and you, you hear the numbers. You know right? what? This is a really it's a really good lead in to having a look at your marvelous front end because this it must be a work of art if if you can simplify uh, all of the stuff that you've just been talking about um, to a level that um, that somebody who's relatively uh, untrained can actually access it make it work we like to say if you could use a mouse you can you can handle routing uh, on our system uh and and so uh yeah i'm happy to share my screen and um and, and be brave uh james go and on, be, go, and, go on be brave <laughs> okay my, uh, my... It's interesting listening to your intro um way back in what 2005 when we started kicked off uh true phone we started in exactly the same way we said that we weren't going to own any uh, machines any platform but unfortunately as we grew um we ended up with professionals who came in and um and decided that they wanted to own and operate their own platforms and so the uh, the hosted model went out of the window. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. You'll, I mean, there's certain institutions that they just can't do it. Financial institutions, for example. But for the most part, uh, if everybody, I mean, I trust my vendors to 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 manage their data center because that's all they're doing. Um, and you know, customers just they want to touch it. A lot of them. A lot of a lot of folks still just want to touch a box and. Um, it, kick it when it's there and they feel like they have more control and they they really i don't know i i it, it's gotten much easier let's put it that way uh can you if they really yeah. if they really feel that then ask them to go pull the ac cord out of the back of it and see what happens <laughs> well what's interesting is is the whole the whole um psychology of it I, when I, when we used to sell software and this was back in my previous life we'd sell software we put it on site and they would say Okay, we're going to have an outage at five when everybody leaves the office or, or what have you. We're going to have a, a maintenance window and we're going to shut all this stuff down um, and whatever, do an upgrade or do something, right? And they're fine with that. But if you as a host, you can't do that as a host. You can't you can't shut things down. Like it's got to be up all the time. That like I said, we're month to month, so we can't go down. Um, and and I think it's it's ironic that folks are so much more tolerant of outages in their own network than they would be of, of anybody else. Anyway, let's have a look at your, your front end. Can, can you see my there. screen? Yes, we can. Okay. All right. Nice and clear. That's very clear, in fact. Okay. Password123. Well, uh, <laughs> um, so I'm, going, I'm not going to get down too deep into the weeds here, but um, we've broken this up and tried to make it as easy and as clean as possible. So we really just break things up between, and we're just going to focus on these four areas here, uh, carriers, 
uh, when carriers uh, are defined as sort of a, an entity that you work with, and, and that could be. Uh, and I love uh, your d d dummy data names. I think they're <laughs> really, really useful. <laughs> well, well, yeah. So you you get a sense of. Um, these carriers can have inbound or outbound, what we call endpoint groups. Uh, in the old days, we would call these trunk groups. They're just like uh, bundles of of, uh, of traffic. Um, and uh, so you, you might be buying, you know, two two products from from uh, or more products from a, a vendor like uh, uh, Quest uh, over here. Um, if I go ahead and I uh, want to add another vendor, like I said, this is. Uh, pretty uh, pretty uh, straightforward. So I just give it a name. I'm just going to leave. I'm surprised again. you didn't put in some wid or some, something like that. You, you know what? As I was <laughs> as I was typing this, I thought I probably should have had another name uh, ready to go. Uh, and because this is going to be a vendor, I'm going to make him outbound. So uh, we'll just call him vendor, you know, X uh, LD. Okay, and then. Uh, Going to skip a lot of the the, the more sort of down uh, technical things, but we we built it. If you see the regular expressions here, we built this so you can basically build whatever you want, right? So if the if the vendor, as I spoke of earlier, uh, wants E one sixty four, well, I can just put a plus here, and now all calls that go out to this vendor uh, will have will have the plus in front of it, uh, or I can strip things off um, with this dial code matcher here. And you know, if you're if you're not familiar with this, of course we're here to help. But we have some of the most common um, regular expressions. So I'm going to go ahead and um, and create this vendor. I could uh, essentially what we would do here is we would add IP addresses. So um, and this could also be depending on your SBC. Uh, it could be uh, an, an Acme SBC. You you can uh, just signal back to not an IP address, but uh, uh, an SAG, a group that would uh, th that that's all pre-built on the SBC. But I can add as many uh, of these as I want, and then I can set an order on these as well. So what will happen is you'll have a vendor like a, a level uh, V, uh, and they'll give you. Uh, they'll give you um, 10 IP addresses to send. But you don't want to do that on every call, so you can load all 10 in here, uh, and then you can say, all right, only send to you know, one of these, only one of them. So I go ahead and I, I've created my carrier, right? And so it's here, and I can now add rates to this if I want. Uh, but before I get up to rates, I just want to go over codes really quickly, because again, this speaks to the complexity that we're, uh, we're dealing with here. Um, in uh, um, in a place like the U.S., you don't just have a dial code. You it does matter what state it's in. So, like I said, a call from uh, Queens to Brooklyn uh, is going to cost differently than a call from Los Angeles to that same number in Brooklyn. Uh, it could be calling the same B number, but because one is interstate and one is intrastate, uh, you're going to have uh, different rates from your vendors. The other thing uh, that we have here is LATA OCN. Um, and this, for those of you not familiar, uh, is based on the old Bell system. And essentially, uh, the LATA tells me a location and the OCN tells me who owns that number. And so what certain vendors will do is they won't give you rates by dial code. They'll give you rates by LATA OCN, which is all well and good, but because the U.S. numbering plan changes more or less monthly, um, you, if you convert LATA OCN to dial code in advance, 
uh, you're every time the LERG changes, which is monthly, you're going to have to update all your rates and, in a sense, update all your uh, routing. What we will do is in the, on the fly, when the call comes in, we look at this number and we say, okay, Lat OCN, and we grab that information. Again, this is all, uh, all done. Uh, to get these codes in here, uh, as you can see, if I go back, I mean, we have um, about 400,000 codes in here, 400,000 unique codes. It's not something that's easily done in a, in a lot of platforms. Okay, can I, can I just test and see how, how good your thing is by putting in one of my dial codes to see whether it can... Oh, yeah, I mean, this, this is customer-driven, but you can certainly give me a dial code. I, what might work better is if I um, uh, do in the route table, but, but go ahead. Um, so country code 44. I think we have it like this. Uh, and then seven nine seven double eight seven nine seven double eight. Yeah, that's a little a little deep. Let's uh let's go give it a wild card and see what we get. Okay, uh, seven nine seven. Oh, I guess uh, maybe I should go a little deeper. No eight. No eight. It oh, must be in a... we're missing. You're missing, oh. but. The nice thing is, is that you're not missing because this will still, this will still work. It, it, um, what I said earlier was that you have vendors that will, some give you m more code, some will give you less codes. This will do an apples to orange comparison. And I'll, I'll show you how that works. So um, you still root that, you still root that call. Um, Yes, absolutely. And, and, and uh, it will roll up. So some people just have four, country code 44, and they may have a flat rate for that. Um, some will have 79788 uh, in there as well. And I'll show you in the, in the routing table um, how that works, because I have a, an example of, of a roll up. Um, so now we have our codes. I'm going to move over um, to rates. And again, this is just one vendor, okay, uh, one outbound vendor of which I have a number of here. And I have, um, you know, he's got half a million uh, rates, uh, which also interesting to see here is, so the rates have, as I mentioned earlier, different jurisdictions. So uh, in the US, intrastate, intrastate. Uh, if this was an international location or outside the US, I shouldn't say international for the folks on this call, but if this is outside the US, then it would be, it wouldn't have a jurisdiction necessarily. It would be undefined. Uh, and then we have user definable uh, jurisdictions as well, like uh, local. Um, but we have effective dates and ineffective dates. So again, the way this works in practice in is you'll have all these vendors that you're working with, they're gonna send you different rate updates, either partial or full complete rate updates. They're gonna come in on Monday, but they're gonna be effective on Saturday. Uh, some's gonna be effective in 30 days from now. And so this is all sort of managing large, uh, large files and things that you sometimes can't even open on a you know, regular sort of desktop application. Uh, so to even just go through and analyze them, much less create uh, some sort of a routing algorithm based on it is very, very difficult. So um, we we can set dates to be effective at a specific time and a specific date in the future. And then we can also set it to become ineffective as well. So at the prescribed time, the new rate will take effect and it, it just it just happens. And that will flow through to routing if you're doing something like a least cost uh, algorithm. Um, and so again, rates are just simply uploaded. Uh, let's see, um, let's see if we can find some just by a, a simple sort of rate sheet, uh, uh, rate sheet update. And so uh, it would come in and, and it, it, rate sheets come in all different shapes and sizes. There's no standardization in the industry for that, which is crazy, but uh, our system is built to handle uh, essentially any format. Uh, you just sort of wanna set the, uh, 
set the the top row to match what we're looking for and you can have superfluous rows you can have uh, additional data that we don't need uh, but we'll just key on uh, what's here so once you've built your carriers uh, and your codes and your your rates now you're ready to to really implement routing and uh, you so a quick question who does that rate building do you do it for the customer or no. does, does the customer do it themselves customer does it themselves and you know if, if I wanted to let's say do a new rate sheet now this is what's really brave I'm going to go onto my my local hard drive and see uh, if I can find a rate sheet so I'm going to make this effective let's say let's just make it effective okay so I'm going to choose a file and let's see if I have demo rates somewhere which I should um, where are my demo rates no demo rates uh, I'll tell you what, I am going to, hmm, um, let me go, I'll just grab a different rate sheet. Hold on. I'm going to go back here and just, I'm going to grab, I'm going to reuse one. You'll have to uh, forgive me for that. Okay, I'm going to take uh, this, uh, this one's a nice big one, 500,000. I'm just going to download this. Okay. So it's eight and a half megs. Um, and again, I mean, these are the types of things that on sort of a typical computer, um, yeah, it's not that you couldn't open it, you couldn't deal, but they're kind of pains to deal with, with large files like this. So right now, this is, this is processing, and all this stuff happens in the background. So I'm not stuck here. I can go somewhere else. I can move around. Uh, but eventually, uh, I'm going you know, to come back here, and, uh, and, and, and I might have several sheets to load, so... I can go ahead and do that, but we're gonna we're gonna get back to this one because she's processing, and I, I'll show you what happens actually once it's done. So I'm gonna go ahead and just move over to a route table, and what a route table is, uh, if I is just a group of uh, characteristics. What, what makes our system a bit unique from some, you know, what you sort of referred to as well. Well, maybe you could put it in the open tips. Is they're all building static tables. So somewhere in a database, there is a large table with all these rates and all these routes and a whole matrix that's built. Well, that's all well and good, but the problem is then your Lata OCN uh, routing becomes uh, doesn't really work. It comes fixed in time. If you want to change some of the characteristics, like instead of uh, setting a margin with blue past in the beginning, but you can set individual uh, margin percentages on your customers of how much money you want to make. Um, if you want to change that, well, that blows up the table as well. Not to mention when new rates come in, as they do at least monthly uh, for each of your vendors. So this just says, who is involved? Who do we want to send the calls to? What uh, routing algorithm do we use? We'll, start, we'll do lowest price for this. And how many routes do I want to send? I might have, we have certain customers that have 40 vendors that they work with. But obviously, they're not going to attempt 40, 40 different customers, so they may limit it to five or seven. Okay, let's go back to our rate sheets here and see. Uh, okay, so our, our uh, vendor X sheet is processed. I'm going to go look through here, and this looks good. I don't have any errors. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead, and I'm just going to import this. Okay, so now it is going. And we'll get back. You see it's already started here. We're going to get back to our route table. Uh, so what we're going to do is now we have this route table. It's route table one, and I want to see well, what happens when customer calls a specific number. Well, a couple things, right? So we, we got all the routes that come up. I've got uh, all my different jurisdictions. And uh, like I said, this is something that you can do if a customer is on the phone. Mr. Customer, what, what number are you trying to call? Well, you know, they're trying to call this, this number here. 
And I can see that, you know, first in route choice is Quest, then I have uh, Paytech here, oh, Quest Gold, which is a little more expensive, and then uh, this, this company, Horizon. Well, I can see that they're, they're having problems. So what I'm going to do, instead of sending the call to Quest, well, I'm, I'm just going to take them and drag them and move them out of route. And that's it. Next call that comes in, um, I'm going to, it's good. The route order is now changed from, from Quest, uh, Paytech, Quest, and Horizon to Paytech, Quest, Horizon, and then uh, regular Quest. What have you got in the way of diagnostics uh, and, and a management interface showing uh, the traffic that's flowing through? So cause normally you can, you can spot the, uh, the routes or routes that are, that are failing just by monitoring the uh, the signaling you can see they, they yeah well that's a good question but remember we're not in the call flow at that at that point we no, but you're you're in the signaling and you say so you you see everything that goes on because you see the signaling no I, don't. Get... I i i i send the redirect back uh and then i'm i'm done so i don't see what after i send the redirect back the customer then sends uh from his, let's say, SBC goes out to vendor A. If it doesn't work at vendor B, vendor uh, it will go to vendor B or vendor C or vendor D. Remember, we're not involved at that part of the call. Now, what I do see, I do have uh, SIP signaling uh, between um, myself and the customer that, of course, uh, we can see. Um, and we can see, okay, these are the routes that went back. We also have very comprehensive call logs uh, that, that um, tell us not just... Uh, not just uh, the, the phone numbers, I think. We, we actually go through what price did we see it at, uh, what we saw the jurisdiction for, whether it was uh, a ported number. We have all that information in terms of, uh, in terms of call logs. Uh, and so we get that to the customer as well. And so they can do some diagnostics there. But typically in this situation, um, we're sending back the routes and the customer is saying, hey, it's not working. Uh, and they're seeing that on either on their signaling or from their call records because we don't know. I don't know if I send back, you know, if Quest is in first place, I don't know that the call actually um, completed on Quest or not, right? So, so uh, it, you know, I, I think um, what uh, what we do here is 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 during the call setup and then we're we're out. But does that answer your question, by the way? Yeah. So you've got no no live monitoring. Somebody else has to worry about that. Well, again, of the call, we have live—you know—we have live monitoring of, of of the customer's equipment to us and back. But after that, we 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 are purposefully out of the call. We do not want to be in that call flow. Uh, so here is our uh, here is our route table, and, and again, we've we've now updated it. Um, some other things we can do as well are are go ahead and 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 block calls uh, and block them for a won't do it here, but I can I can block a vendor as well for a period of time, and I can say okay, uh, you know, put them in a the penalty box for for 24 hours, right? And then and then uh, they're 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 blocked. I'm going to go ahead and just clear that uh, by the way right now, because what I want to do you is get back to your original question. So you said, hey, let's uh, how easy is it for me to to operate the system? Well, uh, we now we added a new vendor, right? And so we want to put this vendor into our routing matrix. And maybe what we want to do is we want to get that, that quest uh, out of there, right? That quest was, we didn't like those guys because they were failing. So they're out. And I'm going to replace them with my new vendor XLD. Okay, it's ready to go. So we'll go back to our same phone number. And now, see, well, there's vendor X, right? Because they had the, we're doing least cost route and they had the, the least cost, uh, 
they're now in first place. I didn't, again, as soon as we uploaded the rates, that happened. We didn't have to do anything else. We didn't have to go into the switches and change the routing table. I didn't have to rebuild this routing table. I just had to add them to it. And if I had left Quest in there, uh, you know, they would still be in there as well. Um, so, so just in terms of the simplicity, I mean, I just took eight megs, an eight meg text file uh, with uh, about half a million rates and added it into this pretty complex uh, system. And uh, it's, it's uh, you know, now going to be taking calls uh, and doing it in the, in the order that uh, I had set up in advance. The other thing is that um, not all of these are, hopefully find this, not all of these rates are the same length. So, for example, of course, I don't have it in here. Hopefully, this one has it. Ah, rats. Well, uh, if, if, uh, if I had an, an, one that was, let's say, MPA only, just 212, it would, uh, it, it would show up here in the routing matrix. Oh, maybe it is that. Okay, yeah, so there's, there's the, the quest uh, gold. It's just a dial code 2, uh, which is in there as well. So getting back to your original, um, you know, why my phone number is not in there. It doesn't really have to be. Uh, because we, we've got it covered with uh, the fact that we could have different length codes and different length rates. Uh, it, it all rolls up. It considers the whole number and then uh, recursively looks at it uh, and compares it to the rates that are there and uses the most discrete rate uh, to match. Okay. I have a question about uh, about the rates in general. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is that these rates that we're looking at here, just, just for, for, uh, to, to clear something up in my head, are these per minute rates? Are they per second? Are they it's per six second? What are they? It it depends. Um, it, it depends on your vendor. Typically, uh, vendors. I, I say there are no standards, but typically the rates are, are given out uh, per minute. Uh, now, some destinations will have different minimums and things like that, but uh, for the most part, uh, the the rates are are given out on a on a per um, a per minute basis. Okay, so if if you have some rates which are not per minute, do you do you convert them to per minute to put them in the system so everything's the same? Y yeah, you could. You could also um, it, the system allows you to put in uh, a minimum uh, incre billing increment as well. Uh, so it you know can can compare certain things here. So I've got uh, yeah minimum duration and uh, and billing increment. But but typically, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen um, folks. Certainly never shorter. Sometimes there's longer. Sometimes they say, hey, you know, minimum is three minutes, but here's the, here's the price. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, and so like a, a lot of folks, they're going to go ahead and do this, and they want to just do it to save money. Right? I want to save money. Okay, that's great. You can save money. But really, as I spoke about in the beginning, the, the, the real power to this is the ability to service customers to be able to um, go ahead and 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 really granularly uh, make routing changes on the fly in real time. Uh, one thing I didn't show you um, is that this web interface, and this gets back to why we wrote it the way we wrote it. So the web interface and the actual system use the same code. So what you're seeing right now, when a call comes in SIP, we convert it to an HTTP request uh, and uh, you know, do our do our lookups and then and then send it back HTTP and then we convert it back into SIP to speak to a switch. Uh, what's nice about that is that uh, what you see here is um, 
there's no difference between what you see on the screen and the and what's going on when you actually send the call through. And that's really, really important because a lot of systems, they can't, uh, if you had, let's say, OpenSIPs in the back end and uh, some other web front end that's using a different type of algorithm, uh, you'd have to keep those completely in sync or else you could be prone to errors. What it's also good for is that uh, you know, in this web interface, um, it's all API driven as well. So I just put a little dot, if you can see that, that uh, JSON behind here, and now I've got that whole page uh, in JSON. So uh, the customers that are so inclined, instead of having somebody upload the rates, can go ahead and send that through through a, a REST, uh, REST API. So they can go ahead and, let's say, you know, create, a, create rate sheets, just like we did, uh, and, then, and then upload it uh, into the system. So you can, you can, uh, you can, like I said, integrate this into what you're already doing today. If you have a billing system that is something that you're really married to or an OSS or a BSS system, that's fine. We don't want to replace any of that. What we want to do is take, take what you're, what you're uh, developing in there or the rates that you have in there or the business rules that you have in there. Maybe customer X can only send uh, all his calls to AT&T. Well, that's fine. We can, we can make that happen here. Uh, and, we can make it happen in real time uh, through the API. Randy, now that I have audio, uh, I see that Corrado has one question before we close. And we, we need to close up because we've been going an hour, and that's that's a good time. Uh, Corrado, your yes, question. Yes, can you hear me? Beautifully, yeah. beautifully. Okay, fantastic. Uh, I'm not in my usual location. I'm home because I've been in and out of many different things today. Uh, the question is... Um, maybe because I wasn't present from the start, uh, where does the, your system, where it sits in a complete SIP architecture, where does it connect into the, the, uh, the big picture? Um, I, I should pull up a diagram here, but uh, just to tell you really quickly, it connects, uh, we sit just outside the edge uh, SIP device. It's typically an SBC, but doesn't have to be. Um, and so we are when the call prior to the call going out to the network vendor, uh, it comes to us first, and we do a real time lookup and send back instructions uh, to the switch in the form of a multiple choice SIP uh, three hundred redirect message that then the switch will then act on and go directly out to the vendors, no longer through us. Okay, so it's it's probably a bit difficult to integrate with directly with. Uh, simple PBXs, a PBX. So um, creating a trunk that interrogates uh, your systems and then you redirect the call. It's not something that is uh, something that is so easy to easy to integrate. It's something that is probably sitting at a level of uh, um, uh, yeah. Uh, let well, me well, say a carrier, a carrier switch. Uh, well, uh, um, what type of PBX are we are we talking about here? Uh, any any PBX that can use a SIP trunk for outbound calls uh, is pointing directly to uh, the, the the server without authentication, going out to an e an IP address that is pre-authenticated, for example. But right. how does that work? Uh, where you can plug in? Do you where do you hook in in this kind of infrastructure? So, so it's it's a good question. I mean, it's really going to depend on can the switch, can the PBX get to the internet? 
uh, if it can, yeah. um, then then they can they can signal to us. Now, it most PBXs that we've worked with are RFC compliant, um, so they will handle a redirect. And in fact, that's how Find Me Follow Me works. So most of them uh, mm. do speak that. Uh, the the other thing that we do. Uh, because we work with a lot of networks that, like I said, are homogenous, we work with a lot of homegrown platforms as well, as well as a lot of the, uh, you know, the big guys. And their signaling requirements are, are very different. So uh, a Sonus SIP uh, redirect is going to look very different from, let's say, an Oracle uh, redirect. It's just the SIP standards is a bit of an oxymoron, as if, if you've yeah. worked with it, <laughs> you understand. It's uh, you can uh, you can custom uh, customize right here in our contact template what the SIP messaging looks like. So if it's a PBX, and let's say we have to add a trunk uh, context or something like that, I could I can add I can add that here. Uh, I can also have variables that are different fields on the outbound side that will pull it from whichever vendor uh, it comes in on. So I can I can really custom design. Uh, the messaging on a on a per connection basis, and I, again, it's not really a connection because it's it's SIP, but um, I can customize the messaging. And the the trick with a lot of PBXs is, especially some of the older ones, um, their 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 SIP messaging is really funky. Uh, so if we can if we can uh, if they do have the capability of responding to a redirect, then we can work with them. And I know you know obviously asterisk and free switch they work no problem. We we work with those uh, uh, those types of platforms every day. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? Randy. Have, anybody else have any yeah, questions? Two Randys. Yeah, we're spoiled today, right? Or you guys are anyway. I'm Randy. <laughs> He's Randy. Randy, you want to put put your uh, camera back on for a moment? Uh, oh, uh, absolutely. And we should um, just make sure that we have all the contacts that are necessary. That's me. I twice. have to say, Randy. Randy Jr., how pleasant it is to have a, such a, an eloquent speaker and to have a speaker who has less hair than me. Well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> All right, there we go. Here, there he is. Okay. Uh, well, thank you uh, so much, by the way, for um, the time. And I, I apologize to, to the listeners, like my wife, who you know says I get a little bit too too geeky uh, when I talk about this stuff. But I really, I mean, it's weird That was certainly was not geeky. No, it's not a problem. It is not that, a problem. That, that was very much into the business drivers, which um, and nothing that you said in, in your intro. Um, I don't think anybody could argue anything against that. So, so that was really good. Very right. polished performance. We just wanted to make sure that before we close out the session, at least this segment, I, I have a couple of things I would like to say after that have nothing to do with uh, you guys, Randy. But um, do we have all your contacts? And should the, the website would be, I assume, icehook.com, H-E-T-P-S, H-T-T-S website, uh, icehook.com. Uh, I in error said ice host and I'm very sorry when I was <laughs> because I was all flustered because I didn't have audio before. Anyway, icehook.com. Uh, are there specific things or people that you're looking for to contact you? You know, we, we work with a pretty broad range, but I think what, what has been, there's really two segments that we've seen a lot of uh, recently. And like I said uh, earlier, sort of the ITSPs, the folks that are running <laughs> a hosted PBX uh, company, and maybe they thought 
eh, they're not really big enough for this uh, type of an application because they don't need multiple vendors or they don't, I mean, in, or they, they don't do enough minutes. I think that's, that's a little, they, they should speak to us because I think a um, being single threaded on any vendor on anything is a mistake. Uh, but B, um, you know, because we're hosted, there's, we can, we can make it work for a lot of folks. And, and the other, and the other guys are, are the ones that are doing sort of non-traditional voice. They're not necessarily a phone company, but what they, they, what they do does involve uh, voice services. So web companies that, uh, that, that do pass voice, we, we're seeing more and more of those as well. Okay, very cool. Well, I appreciate that you contacted us, Randy. We will be in touch, of course, and uh, any new things that come up, don't, uh, don't be afraid to ping us. Um, we're going to move on. Uh, you're welcome to stay, by the way, of course. I, and I need to run, but I wanted to mention a couple of things before we seal off the session. And one of them was that, as the guys, uh, the core team at VUC knows, I've been testing uh, mobile carriers because I just moved. And my current carrier, I am on the ground floor, and I do not have a consistent voice, let alone data. Now I've got a Wi-Fi um, access point right behind me. It's very strong with a gigabit internet connection. So, you know, I don't really need data down here in my office, but my phone doesn't always ring. Uh, so we're in and out of that, and so I need to change operators. And I have a, installed a, an app. This is Android, by the way. Sorry, I don't know what the equivalent is for uh, iOS, but uh, this is uh, Network Cell Info. It's a free program. It's called Lite, which is the free version. I've already paid for the get rid of the ads. I, I can see that it's not quite in focus, but sooner or later, come on. Well, let's try another. Uh, I have three phones, so let's. There we go. And if you want to see what the professional version is. Oh, you have the professional version. All right, well, let's I, try this one. Versions. I didn't get the professional because I'm not even sure I'd understand. You basically can see, you can see enough to figure it out. It's free, so download it. If you're on Android, network cell info, look for it. Oh, let's see, James, let me see. So you're not too much better in focus than I am, but LTE. It, anyway. It, it, it's a very, very useful tool. Let's talk about James because you're more conversant than I am. What I did is you can, so you're testing these um, these services and I left my Wi, you can have your Wi-Fi on. So you're not sucking data to test them like you would be normally. So uh, you can test, um, you've got to gauge there. There's just, if we, we're not going to go into this in any depth because there's like a thousand things you can do. But the main point is, is ahead. effectively it's signal strength, even though for 3G and 4G, it's not signal strength. I mean, it, that confuses right. Um, but it's it's all to do with um, you, if you look at your scale, you can see you've got green, yellow, orange, and then. And red. how accurate do you think and, that is, James? Because it seems to be pretty. Oh, good. Well, uh, yeah, that's to be within a dB or two. No, I meant. Um, but if I meant, at, I meant, I meant accurate on their their estimation, their appreciation of green, yellow. I mean, as far as I can no, tell. No, that's pretty that's, good. That's actually yeah, good. That, that's that, their that, judgment, that's, really. That you can see that I'm in. Spot on. You can see that, what is this? This is LTE, this is SFR. So we're kind of in the yellow, which is, yeah, it's not great, but you know what? It hasn't, it hasn't moved. And uh, the, all right, let's, let me put this one on. Corrado's got his, he is in yellow as well, Corrado. 
on Virgin. Uh, I'm in yep. yellow too. We're all in yellow. We're all in yellow. Point is, you don't want to be in orange or red. And here's the problem that I have. I'm on edge in free. Look, edge. Oh, no. edge. When's the last time you remember being on edge, folks? Well, you don't do edge <laughs> because it's totally useless. It is totally useless. But what I care about, and uh, the guys, we've been talking about this, and they know this, but I'm just telling the general public, um, my problem is that my cell will not, sometimes it's like offline and won't receive calls. So it's the voice, ironically, it's the voice that matters for me. And uh, the voice, people are sent to voicemail. Oh, battery is low. Yeah, because I've been testing everything. I have three phones on and they're all on. <laughs> they're all on. You can't on use voice app. over Wi-Fi? Oh, well, that's, that's, a, that's an excellent. No, yeah. Um, here's the problem with that. So if I was going to use it, it would have to be on Orange, which is my ISP now. And I've got a, an incredible 920 megabytes down, megabits down. So almost gigabit internet, uh, but if you're not on orange, you can't use it. Well, orange's signal here is yeah. not good. To be precise, so, what you need yeah. in order to use 3GPP IWLAN, i.e. Wi-Fi calling, you yeah. need two things. One is uh, a handset that is capable of doing it. And secondly, an operator profile, which then lives up and provisions that service. Right. And if you have one or the other, then it won't work. You've got to have both. Right. And um, we, we know, James, if I may, we know that my phone will do this on T-Mobile. And for some reason, I don't know whether it does or does not do it on Orange. But And Orange is my ISP now. But the problem is... Orange's coverage is actually not good. SFR happens to be better in the neighborhood I'm in. And I, I want to, you know, take this away from me or you or whatever to say that this is your problem with, with coverage for any one of us, which is someone asks you, well, who's your, are you happy with T-Mobile? Are you happy with Verizon, whatever in the States? Well, you can't, your answer is meaningless because where are you? Where do you live? Where do you work? And where do you go? Uh, so this is why I re recommend getting this free app, Network Cell Info Light. And if you want to get rid of the ads, it's like a buck and a half or something. The point is you can walk around between these places you, where you live, where you work, and where you hang out, and you'll see exactly what the story is. Am I right, James? You are right. Okay, so uh, that's sorry, it. Sorry, Randy, if I can interject very quickly. Uh, there's another function in the software that you can see probably if you focus on my uh, on my screen. That is also giving you a map mm -hmm. exactly of where you are and where is the cell tower that is broadcasting the signal for you. Well, so you can't where see. it thinks it is, which is where, not, yeah, uh, that's that's a yeah. that's a touchy issue in that it's a fuzzy thing in that they are getting that from Mozilla's database, as they say. So I don't. I can I can tell you that this is accurate. It's it's hundred percent accurate. I know that the cell is where they see where Toronto. they see. I have to. I, I can show you mine. Toronto, you have a river. Inaccurate. Toronto, you have a river. Look at this. You have a river. And yes. I have a river. Look at that. <laughs> I, I can tell you that my, in my case, they're accurate. They're they're exactly pinning where the tower is. Really, it, it's not right with mine either. I'm afraid. Well, it, it's not 100% guaranteed. Randy, do you have any comments? We're going to close out pretty soon. So, any comments on any of this? Uh, 
I really have to leave instead because I have a wine tasting in 15 minutes that is waiting for Go me. Go for it, Corrado. Love yeah. you, baby. Guys, thank you. Okay, Corrado, take care. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Randy, any comments yeah. on this before we close out? Uh, I've, I've got a story with Verizon and a network extender, but it, it'll cause me to swear. So I'd, I'm, I'd probably rather not, uh, rather not go through it. But uh, long story short, I, I lived in an apartment that uh, in the middle of Brooklyn and I couldn't get cell phone coverage. Yeah, in, what a surprise. Uh, and I bet yeah. all of the mobile networks in Brooklyn claim 100% coverage everywhere don't you've seen the maps uh yeah. <laughs> so so i bought a 250 dollar um network extender Ooh. and and it, it by the way it was only i think it was only a 3g it was anyway it lasted it worked but it was over of course my internet connection uh it worked and then it broke and i spent i don't know hours trying to fix it with them finally they said well we'll sell you another one i said i'm not buying another one you're going to send me you're going to fix it or fix long long story short i moved to uh i moved to project fi uh here in the states i've got voice over uh wi-fi just got the new pixel i've i've never looked back so it's uh voice over wi-fi you've you've actually got a pixel 2 with the eSIM. so have you configured it using the eSIM without putting a sim card in it yes Yes, it, it reminded me back of uh, uh, CDMA, right? You know, no no uh, sim yeah. for that, but uh, but you can put a sim in here. There, there's actually a uh, there's there's a slot for it. I just don't yeah. need to do it on five, but if I if I wanted to switch providers, I can put put a sim. So that's in. That's, that's a that's an absolutely perfect use for five because uh, they use how many oper- how many different uh, operators? Two or three? They use Sprint and uh, well, T-Mobile or whatever. But yeah, again, in my neck of the woods, I think they bu- they also cut a deal with somebody else um, whose name is escaping me right now for the Midwest. But yeah, they they can do multiple networks. Of course, if Sprint and T-Mobile merge, yeah. then I'm back to one network. That's a good point, and that's <laughs> one reason why they probably should not. Anyway, uh, just just for balance, it's worth mentioning that Apple do this as well. But um, they, for whatever reason, they failed to to put an eSIM in the new iPhone 10. Um, mm. And so Google have got one big um, one up over over Apple there because we know that Apple have got all the bits and pieces to do that. And uh, you can buy an iPad Pro like the one I've got here talking to you on right now. And um, yeah, eSIM with multiple <laughs> countries. Um, but did they put it in the iPhone 10? No. The reason for that being uh, they were they're, they're still slightly worried about the the Volte roaming, the voice um, profile. But that's something that we fixed for them about three and a half years ago. Um, so they have all the bits and pieces they need to do that. You know what's going to be really funny is in five years to look back on this discussion, don't you think? I mean, you know, this is yeah. all going to be resolved just like so many other things have been. But anyway, what you need, Randy and Randy, is uh, your own radio access uh, little box, something like a, about the same size as a, uh, as a wireless access point, but one that operates in multi-operator neutral host mode. I'm looking forward to receiving you, the one from you, James. As yeah, a to- and... Uh, I can't think where you might get that that's that back end service from. Well, we could certainly work out a sponsorship deal, James. Just uh, <laughs> ping me. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we're going to go on to next week. Gosh, we're 21 minutes over. Oh, we're over. We're over. No, well, the satellite isn't that expensive, right? So, all kidding aside, thanks, Randy, and thanks for hanging out with us afterwards. Keep in touch. Thanks for having me.
yes, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. And uh, thanks for having me. And good luck with your with your mobile phone coverage. Oh my God! Well, where, where you go, Randy? I have one question for you. Uh, your headset—it's a Sennheiser. Which model is it? Oh, you're asking me like I know offhand. I can look at just, it. Just, just turn towards me. Turn, turn is that the right. Okay, the yeah, right I know which one. I was looking it up. No, it sounds great. And it and, does uh, sound great. I, I'm always on the lookout for headsets uh, that I haven't tried because I'm always recommending them to ZPX customers to kill your application. I'll give you my 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 little tight, but um, it works great. It's definitely doesn't look as nice as any of yours, though. You know what, though. Um, well, we've had hit or miss, and there are a lot of people like James has got those little uh, Apple uh, things in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I'm they not. Work. They, they work, and, and the, but then you're going to lose them, and the batteries are going to die on them, and they're awfully expensive. For all right, you know what? all right, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're exactly that, but I, you're I holding it wrong. wrong okay. Yeah. <laughs> Next. This is, this is secret. Anyway, come on, That's cut the live feed. Let's go proceed. Cut the live feed. Let's go to the only. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, gosh, I just hope I can choose a mobile provider. What do you think? No codecs were harmed in the production of the VUC, brought to you by IP Communications Community. With our thanks to Simwood. Greenfield Tech, ZipDX, Bluehost, and Voxmall. See you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.